You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to another celebratory post-selection show extravaganza episode of the Assembly Call, as today your Indiana Hoosiers earn or are given a four-seed in the NCAA tournament. Certainly, we think that they earned the four-seed, uh, but you know the selection committee has all of their own criteria, and I think one of the one of the themes that kind of came out of the bracketology process over the last few you know last few days. As you know, Indiana was kind of, it seemed very set as a four, and then they lose, and you know, Virginia wins, and Duke wins, and it starts to look like, well, could Indiana fall down to a five? And it's like, look, you know, if you're a four or a five, you're somewhere between the 13th and 20th best team in the country. And it just depends on what criteria the selection committee decides that they're going to prioritize in that given year. But it doesn't change your body of work. And really, I think a four or five seed would have been worthy based on what Indiana did this season. Uh, but we are certainly uh, happy uh, and I think agree uh, that Indiana's body of work was good enough to get a four. And they do get a four seed in the Midwest region. The Hoosiers will be taking on the MAC champion, uh, the 13 seed Kent State. We will talk about that matchup here coming up. Uh, and then the 5 12 seed is Miami versus Drake. And of course, the number one seed in Indiana. Indiana's region, as we knew that it would be, is Houston and Kelvin Sampson. Uh, so Ryan, as we look at what the committee set up here, we face Kent State in the NCAA tournament. This will be, I think, our third time facing them, coached by Rob Senderhoff, who was an assistant. One of Sampson's under- assistants, who was the most guilty of everything that happened. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, Sampson there uh, as the number one seed. I will uh, so- say, but you know, I, I want to emphasize, Jared, the committee does not try and create storylines or narratives, though. that They don't do that. They refuse to do that. They just blankly look at them. They don't. Right, guys. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Just like just like Texas A&M being the seven and Texas being a two, not intentional at all, right? Not at all. Nope, not at all. Um, yeah, I. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, Kent State's a really good team. Um, as far as I can tell, I haven't watched them. A, I, I actually did watch them this year. Tw- I, I texted you guys. I hadn't. And then somebody reminded me that we, I watched them with him. Um, they don't they're not a, they're not a great shooting team. They're OK. Uh, which the th- if you're just looking at the things that Indiana struggles with, they're 217th in three point percentage. Um, def- they're a defensive team. I mean, they 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 play defense. They give up a lot of free throws, uh, which was one thing I noticed. Uh, but solid defense, and they're a veteran team. So, can Indiana? How do they guard Trace Jackson Davis? Can Indiana hit shots? Pretty much the questions we have for every game this season involving Indiana. So I don't think it's it's too much to get worked up about. Um, but yeah, it is going to be interesting to see how Indiana responds to playing a veteran team. They're a veteran team. How do they respond? How do the bench players, uh, how do they guard a, a veteran team? How does a veteran team guard a, a freshman point guard? Uh, and can Trace Jackson Davis do what Trace Jackson Davis does? And Indiana will be favored to win this game. Um pretty significantly, I would imagine, but they are playing a good team and they didn't get a team that, that backed in. They got a team that won its way in. And um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. It should be really interesting. And if, you know, Rob Senderhoff has built his teams like Kelvin Sampson has built his, built his teams, which is very tough, very hard nosed. They're going to be bruises in this game. And, you know, 
contusions and things you got to worry about for a few <laughs> days afterwards. But, uh, it, you know, this is the kind of game that Indiana can win. This isn't Penn State or Iowa type offense that they're going to be facing. Yeah. And, you know, look, as a lot of people, you know, in the chat mob, I saw someone uh, said this. Ross said, nobody in the team gives an S about Senderhoff or Sampson. Absolutely. This is that that's just a made for TV fan type storyline. So it's not anything that I think Mike Woodson's going to care about. It's not anything that the players are going to care about at all. I think, Ryan, when you look at Kent State, um, you know, look, I think you look at a 413 matchup, right? And you think, okay, you know, this is, you know, Kent State is ranked 71st. And I think if you just, you know, kind of look at that and you don't dig deeper, you think, okay, you know, 413, let's go, Indiana. This is a game that we should win by 10 or 15 points. And what I will say to that is, you know, because of Kent State's style of play, which is defensive, in their history of playing good teams, I would slow down on that. I do agree. This is a game, obviously, that Indiana will be favored in and that Indiana should win. Uh, but you look at Kent State, they played at Charleston, which is an NCAA tournament team that a lot of people are going to pick to win their first round game. I think they're a 12 seed. They lost 74 to 72. They played at Houston. All these games are you know, in the non-conference schedule. They played Houston at Houston. They lost 49 to 44. They played Gonzaga at, Gon- at Yeah, they played Gonzaga at Gonzaga, lost 73 to 66. And so what that tells you is this team can play good teams in tough environments. Again, those were road games, and they kept it close. Now, they didn't win, but if I had to you know, guess just my initial reaction of what I think is going to happen in this game, I would guess it probably looks something like that. And it's maybe a little bit closer than Indiana fans want, but this is a Kent State team that has proven they can play good teams in tough environments close, couldn't get over the hump and win any of them. Uh, and I think this is an Indiana team that, you know, typically if they're, you know, in a good spot in a close game, they've done pretty well this year. Uh, but just beware of being overconfident, I think, about how For this sure. game is going to go. I, um, I will say this about the Gonzaga, and that was when Gonzaga was really struggling at the beginning of the year. It did not look like a Gonzaga team that we've seen in the past. So I, I think that that one may be a little inflated given how Gonzaga looks now. Uh, but the Houston game, I mean, to play Houston toe to toe, essentially, I, I 49 to 40, that must have been horrible to watch, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. But, you know, Charleston's a really good team right. and they, they lost by two to them. So, uh, yeah, there's some results on that record that make you believe, okay, they can, they can play with uh they can play with anybody really if they play their game as jim says in the chat there is no game or opponent that i feel good about indiana winning without issue so maybe yeah that that's pretty much where we're at too buddy perhaps fair well ladies and gentlemen we have a special guest here with us on this edition of the assembly call it is the great rick Rick, how are you i'm good kent state's a dangerous team man they are they are so give us yeah, I kind of felt like any, whoever Indiana got in that range, twelve to thirteen, was going to be a dangerous team anyway, and it wasn't going to feel super comfortable. So I guess it's just what we expected. Yeah, yeah, I think the two teams that I thought would be the worst draws for them would be Kent State and Iona. So they didn't get Iona, but uh, Rick Pitino is going to also be in Albany, so it's going to be a very interesting uh, <laughs> regional. <laughs> so okay, guys, I think. You know, one of the big storylines here coming out of this is, of course, the senderhoff Samson connection here in Indiana's region. Do you guys want to give just the quick refresher for those who may have forgotten or for maybe the newer Indiana fans who don't quite know all of that backstory so they're up to speed on all the storylines that they're going to hear ad nauseum for the next three or four days? I, I, was there, that summary? I was there for that, but I will cede it to Rick because he was a beat writer about that team. 
Uh, you know, Rob Senderoff was the uh, top recruiter that Kelvin Sampson had on his staff uh, when he came to IU, along with, I think it was Jeff Meyer, and I forget who the third guy was. Uh, Dockage came later, but um, he had a recruit from Kentucky by the name was of McCallum. Bud Mackey, who McCallum, never came to town. And uh, yeah, McCallum, that's right. Bud Mackey, who was from Kentucky, who had some off-the-court issues and never came to town. And then when Kelvin... Uh, got fired for text messaging Robbie Hummel and Demetrius McCamey and uh, Evan Turner and all those dudes, whoever it was, too many times. Senderoff was part of the group. I think he was mentioned in some of the uh, allegations, right? Did, wasn't he out for a while of the game? He was he the one back? He was the one facilitating the three-way calls. between. Okay. So, so technically, Senderoff would call recruits because Samson wasn't allowed to, and then they would just – so happened that Samson would be That's either right. in the room or they would connect him via third. I mean, it was a, it was a way around a rule. They all knew they were breaking. Uh, right. So, so, but Senderhoff was at the center of that. And then that's, they, they dumped Senderhoff. And, and I think didn't Dockett replace Senderhoff, didn't he? That's right. He yeah. was the first man overboard that you're right, Brian. They dumped yeah. him like right at the beginning of the season. Uh, Cause as all this started to come out and, and Dockett stepped in. But he's been there now. I mean, he's been there like 12 years, I think. I mean, he, this is his program. Uh, and he's been successful. Uh, you know, he's had a bunch of 20-win seasons. He's a good coach. I mean, they've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight 20-win seasons under Rob Senderoff. Yep. Um, I don't know if they've had any success in the NCAA tournament or not. But um, And I think he thought he was going to have a good team this year, and that's why he scheduled the way he did, as you guys mentioned, playing Gonzaga, uh, playing Houston, um, they didn't lose any home games. They did finish second in the MAC to, to Toledo, but they, I watched the game last night uh, instead of watching Duke and Virginia, and they 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 beat uh, Toledo pretty decisively in the championship game of the MAC tournament. I mean, Indiana should beat them. I mean, they they should be favored to beat them. They've got I don't think uh, Kent has anybody to match up with Trace Jackson Davis, and that's typically the way it is when you're a Mid American Conference school. Uh, you don't have the the elite type centers, but I'm sure they've got very good guards. And they've they've been tested all year long. And so if Indiana comes in and doesn't play with energy the way they did in part of that game against uh, Penn State, they'll they'll certainly have their hands full. Well, I think in a tournament setting, momentum is such a big I know some people say momentum doesn't matter. The analytics, the statistics matter. Momentum matters in a tournament because you're tired at the end of the season. You are worn out and that sort of momentum will boost your energy. And if you come out slow and let an underdog believe in itself, that's when you get into trouble. And so Indiana's actually started pretty well the last couple games, which had been a problem you know, before. Their starts have been good, but it feels like after that starting adrenaline wears off, they have these lulls after about five to ten minutes. And then the offense goes to pot and the other team, they allow other teams back in it. So I think it's just going to be a, you know, consistent energy and effort is is really going to be the the thing that will win the day here. Because you're right, they don't match. It can say it doesn't match up man to man with Indiana. But if you allow a team to believe that they do, that's where you get right. in trouble. You know, and as you guys mentioned, uh, the last two days on the show, um, you can't have Galloway no-show again, the way he did in Chicago. I mean, what he made one basket at the very end of the game against Penn State, uh, cops got to be more productive. Uh, you know, race has got to play better than he played. I thought yesterday he was a little lethargic. I think Woodson thought he was lethargic too because he 
he benched Galloway and Thompson very quickly in the second half because I didn't think he thought they were when they got beat on a couple of those offensive rebounds by one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the country. I think Mike Woodson was kind of alarmed by that. But the second thing I'll say, though, is if they can win the game, I mean, Miami is a five seed. They're their best inside player. They just lost him. Yeah, uh, I think he's out for the year. And they got really oh, is he really I, with I the ankle? So. Wow. Yeah, and uh, you know if if uh, if you've got you know Nigel Pack and you've got Isaiah Wong, Larinaga, as we all know, is a really good coach. I mean they they won. They were the number one seed in the ACC tournament. I know the ACC was down this year, but they were the one seed. Uh, but they're there without their top inside guy. So, you know, that, that, that could be a more favorable matchup than most five seeds are in this tournament. Yeah, that boy, that's interesting. Um, you know, getting back to Kent state, you know, you look at them and obviously we'll kind of, you know, dig a little deeper into, into Kent state and, you know, probably try and find someone from Kent state to, to come on here. Um, and we'll, we'll bring coach Tonsoni in here in just a second, and get his thoughts. But I just wanted to piggyback on what you guys said about Kent state, just some early matchup stuff. You know, they are not a big team. Their average height is 345th in the country. Right. You know, I think their tallest guy is six, nine, but they have a couple of high usage guards. One is sincere carry the other Malik Jacobs. And the concern with those guys is they both draw fouls. Sincere carry draws 4.5 fouls for 40 minutes. Malik Jacobs, 5.4. And so, you know, and uh, sincere carry for them plays 92 minutes. And obviously Indiana is a team with Jalen hood Shafino that has a high usage guards that plays a lot of minutes. Staying out of foul trouble is going to be obviously big for Indiana's guards in this game uh, and continuing to take advantage of the advantage that they have inside in the post, which Indiana didn't do against Penn State, uh, will also be important. But we'll get into the the matchups a lot more on that coming up. Uh, But first, let's bring in the coach, Brian Tonsoni from Delphi Bracketology uh, and the Assembly Call, of course. Coach, uh, how did Delphi Bracketology do? And what are your initial thoughts on Indiana's draw? Uh, I think we did pretty pretty well. If we're, if we're, our math works out, which I'm not a great math person, we had our second best score that we ever did, 363. Wow. Um, so we feel pretty good um, about that. We we had some seeds off. Uh, we had 48 correct, and like uh, we only missed uh, two teams more than one seed line off. So uh, very proud of our efforts. That's um, awesome. And we'll see where where that lies. Uh, our best ever was three sixty nine. We finished third uh, two years ago, um, and when we won it, it was three fifty one. So pretty good for us. Uh, the kids just left. I just shoot them out. <laughs> so if you see anyone grabbing down, running down the stairs for some shoes or phones that they they left, I I apologize. Um, <laughs> We're dancing yeah, I, on the porch, I think it's, maybe. Yeah. Um, so I think it's pretty good. I haven't really had a chance to to look at matchups and, and and things like that. But I think my initial thought was it's pretty good um, overall for Indiana. I, I think Miami and their guards pose a little bit of an issue. Uh, just a quick thought down the road, and then you match up with a great defensive team in Houston. Uh, but that they you know they got had a key injury this week, so. You know, there's some things uh, that I look forward to diving into it. And one thing that's nice is it was a no-sweat uh, selection Sunday for oh, Indiana what? Hoosier fans, which is uh, enjoyable. Coach, what do you think of Kent State? Uh, you know, I think I've, I've watched them uh, quite a bit this year. The, the MAC was pretty good basketball. You know, Toledo was in there. Uh, Akron was finished down the line a little bit. Ball State played well. So 
I think if they went through that tournament, I don't know their personnel. I'm going to get ready to go study it and look at it. Uh, but th- those are the kind of teams that can, um, um, you know, really cause some some problems. Uh, I think you know, anytime the the twelve, the thirteen, if you get a you get a tough run or you're not playing well, uh, these are these are good basketball teams. But you know, Kent State had a had a run for a while and then had a little bit of a lull, if I remember right. And, and then they came on strong here in the tournament. Let's bring in the good doctor, Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. We've even got his music here to bring him in uh, properly. Uh, Galen, your thoughts on Indiana's draw and how did you do bracket wise? Uh, a little bit behind the fine folks at Delphi Bracketology, but if I'm counting right, we we had a 356 this year, which is our best ever. Uh, hey. Had all. Every team but one uh, picked correctly. I think, like everybody else on the planet, we uh, had Rutgers in instead of Nevada, um, and actually had sixty-seven of the sixty-eight within one of actual. We just didn't hit quite as many exacts. So, still pretty pleased with how things turned out on that front. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's actually of all of the potential draws. If looking at the way everything shook out, this is probably the best Indiana could have possibly expected. Uh, they get a Kent State team that, while Certainly, I, I think they're a good team. I don't think that they are like overwhelmingly great. And I also think that their struggles from shooting uh, behind the three-point line, they're only a 33% team. Uh, that's exactly what Indiana wants to see. They do not want to play a team that's going to you know, back up their defense and put them in a position where they're allowing shots from outside. Uh, and you know, I was look, looking at uh, Eric Haslam's website, Indiana, a four-point favorite on a neutral floor against Kent State, which uh, that's pretty good considering they would have only been a point favorite if they were against Oral Roberts, uh, for instance. Uh, And then as far as like, you know, Miami, that's a team that certainly, you know, has got some pieces that I like, but I've watched a lot of Miami. That's my second team, basically, having worked down there for a while. Uh, There are other teams I would have uh, rather avoided than Miami. I think that's actually a fairly decent draw for IU. I think they match up okay with them. So, yeah, I like where Indiana's at. And uh, I'm just pleased that the work Indiana did throughout the course of the season ended up being rewarded in the seeding procedure as a lot of people had decided to dump them down the seed line a bit after what happened in the last 24 hours. Well, this is a good time now as we have our friend from the Back Home Network here to talk about the sponsor of the Back Home Network, which is Homefield Apparel. Uh, and did you guys see what Homefield is doing, what they just announced which is, uh, I gotta let me go look up the tweet here and see exactly what they're calling it. It's like Mystery Box Mania uh, or Mystery Mania something. Oh, yeah, Mystery Mania Subscription Box. That's the text that I got. Okay, I'm seeing yes. it. Yes. Yes, so it is Mystery Mania Subscription Box. So you sign up for this, and you're going to receive six shirts total. It's five mystery tees from tourney teams. So it's all tourney teams, and you get a mystery tee, the size you get to choose, and an original home field champs tee, which is exclusive to this promo. And each tee is 40% off the regular price. And so you're going to get sent three shipments, one each weekend with two surprise tees. Who knows? You could get 
a Kansas t-shirt. You could get an Iona t-shirt. You could get Furman. It could be, you know, whatever schools they have, they could be in here if they're in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and so you can go there and sign up. I am definitely signing up for this. Uh, if you go to the Simply Call Twitter, I just tweeted it out. So it is the Mystery Mania subscription box. If you like and trust Home Field Apparel and you're just like, you know, Home Field doesn't miss, just send me a shirt because I know it's going to be awesome and I'll wear it kind of like, you know, Coach Tonsoni's kind of life philosophy, uh, then, you know, you should sign up for this. It'll be fun uh, and you'll get some you'll get some fun shirts and you get the excitement of a surprise and not knowing what's coming and three weeks of getting to open this up. And it's like Christmas. I mean, you know, March is already like Christmas because you know, all the, the wonderful basketball, but this makes it even more so. So go check that out. It's the Mystery Mania subscription box. Uh, I'm sure if you go to homefieldapparel.com, you'll see it, but you can also go to the Assembly Call Twitter uh, and you will see it there. Let's bring in uh, another member of our team here, Coach Marlowe, who will be hosting the watch party for our private community members watching uh, the women's tournament draw. Uh, but Coach Marlowe, give me your initial thoughts on Indiana's draw and how you think the Hoosiers will handle it. Uh, I think I agree with Galen. I, I think that, and, and Brian as well, I think that it's a good matchup. It's better than Oral Roberts. That, that was my, the one I did not want to match up with was Oral Roberts. Um, but I look at them and they don't have much size. Their biggest kid I can see at least listed on the roster is six, eight, but I do worry that I look at their team stats and they force about 16 to 17 turnovers a game, which leads me to believe that they're fairly quick and active. And yep. that's been an issue for us to guard those types of players. But overall, you look at their Ken Palm numbers, I think they were 110 on Ken Palm and offices efficiency. And so and those have been kind of the teams we've been okay with. They're defensively, they're top 40, according to Ken Palm. But we've really kind of been okay with those teams. So I like that. I like the matchup with Miami. It'll be interesting to see if their big kid is going to be out the, the first weekend of the tournament. He got hurt in the very first minute or so of the ACC championship game last night. Um, and then, you know, you get to the Sweet 16 the second weekend, anything can happen. And if Sasser's not healthy, um, Houston, I won't say is vulnerable, but that matchup becomes a little, a little, a little better without Sasser in, in the lineup. Yeah. You know, it's a good point about Kent state, you know, defensively, they don't have a ton of size, but they are 31st in the country in block percentage. They're 20th in the country in steel percentage and 20th in the country in turnover percentage. So that would suggest that they are active, that they are disruptive. And that is something that has harmed this Indiana team because at times Indiana gets very loose with their ball handling. And they obviously are not going to be able to do that. And hopefully, you know, with the, the pressure of an NCAA tournament, uh, there's a little bit more focus. Um, but that is certainly something, uh, you know, that, that could be a potential worry here as you look at this, as you look at this Kent State matchup. Um, I'm curious, <clears throat> Coach and Galen, what were what were kind of the biggest surprises for you uh, when it comes to maybe someone that was seated? I know you know here here at our house, or we are a Hoosier Aggie house. When Texas A&M came up as a seven seed, uh, we were both bewildered and surprised. And then, of course, we saw that they had a potential second round matchup against Texas, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm sure that was a coincidence. Um, so that was the biggest surprise for us. It just it felt like A&M certainly should have been over Kentucky, um, but. You know, I don't know. I'm curious to to hear what you guys thought was the biggest surprises of the day. Galen, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, I mean, I was a little surprised, but not overly so with A and M. And and they were kind of in the same boat as Duke, where it's like, how much does that late momentum 
really bump you that far up. But the difference between Duke and A&M was that A&M had some horrific losses on their resume. Uh, they had, I think, two quad four losses that they suffered back in December, and I think that that weighed them down a little bit. Um, my, I think my biggest surprises overall uh, in terms of seeding were, you know, essentially I the, the – a lot of it comes down to like how the eights and the nines end up always kind of being flipped from what you would expect. And that's a really frustrating one. There wasn't anything like outlandish there. Uh, I thought that the committee might overseed Utah state uh, because their metrics and everything looked pretty good compared to the rest of the field, even though the actual games themselves did not. A lot of people had Utah state as a 12. They ended up as a 10. I had them as a nine. I think I overcompensated there a little bit. Um, Kentucky is a six. I think you could make an argument for them as a seven, certainly. I don't know that they were any necessarily better than than uh, Texas A&M was at the end. Uh, but honestly, I, this was probably of the last eight or nine brackets I've seen. This was the group of seedings that I've, I've found to be kind of the least outlandish. Uh, you know, you, you kind of get a sense that the committee, and this is an important thing to keep in mind, it's not one person with their own peccadillos deciding that they're going to like favor certain criteria over another it's essentially a decision once you start thinking that way uh you know this seems like exactly what the committee would have done they compromised on a bunch of things uh i do think the one thing that was interesting was that they didn't overweigh predicted statistics like ken palm if they had i think yukon would have been a three i think tennessee might have even been a three they did seem to balance those things pretty well uh coach what about you what were your thoughts I just want to say real quick, I just want to jump in and say, clearly it's because this selection committee had the best leadership of well, any right. selection yes. committee. Right. By the way, when did they move them to Carmel? I, I, I'm confused. <laughs> like they used to be in the Marriott downtown, and now what are they at, like a, a La Quinta off of 31? I mean, how, what happened there? <laughs> that I don't know. But credit, by the way, if, if you didn't know, it's Chris Reynolds, obviously, uh, from Indiana, played at Indiana in the early 90s, uh, who was the selection committee chair. Did a great job. Uh, Coach Tonsoni, over to you. Yeah, I don't think there's anything extremely surprising. Obviously, the the ones you didn't get right, you're a little surprised by, but they were in the ballpark. Uh, so when you make a mistake, you had Auburn at a nine, and then you debated if you wanted to move someone up to a nine, who's going to move down. So when you're one, you know, if most of your selections are as a bracketologist correct or one seed line off, you're, you're splitting hairs, maybe one or two. Uh, overall seed lines one through sixty eight can make the difference. Thirty six and thirty seven are two different seed lines, but they're they're virtually re- you know real tight and real close. So, you know, I, I don't know that there's a surprise. It it does reveal the the process a little bit. Uh, the fact that North Carolina State was not in the play in game means they were voted in before the final four, and then once once they're in that spot, it's the same thing as Michigan last year. Michigan was seventeen and thirteen, got voted in as maybe the thirty ninth or fortieth team, and then they lose the first game. Well, they're in, and unless you make a, a, a a committee push to reconsider and take them back out, which I don't know how easy that is to do, you're just going to put them down at the lowest um, non-playing game spot. I think that happened with North Carolina State. I really we dropped them today for Nevada uh, because uh, we thought um, there are a bunch of teams with four quad one wins and kind of four or five quad two, and there's a lump of them together. And North Carolina State was not. So when we had to take one team out, we just took the team out with, you know. Um, that's that that was the surprise for me that they were not that not that they were in because we were considering them in but they were not in the play in game it was probably the biggest uh, surprise for me but every one of these selections i think makes sense to some 
extent. Uh, we had Texas A&M on the seven line until this week. Um, and we jockeyed, you know, Kentucky there for a while. Then we put Creighton there for a while and all those teams are really close. So I, I think the committee, you know, does a, a good job overall. And it's a tough, tough process, but, uh, yeah, not, not a whole lot of surprises. Ryan, what are your thoughts on Nevada and your coaching hero, uh, getting into the, getting into the field? <laughs> I think it's a terrible decision, and whoever made it should be fired immediately. Um, no, I, I honestly, I was surprised. I haven't seen Nevada in a projection in a while, so yeah, no. I, I was surprised they made it. I, I, I'll say one thing. I, I had kind of disregarded them, and I went back this morning, and I was like, I'm going to go through every outside the bubble, outside the bracket team and just make sure. And I looked back at Nevada's numbers, and I was actually kind of impressed with what I saw comparatively. I didn't think they'd make it in. I really didn't. And if they had made it in, I thought it would be at the expense of like Pitt, not Rutgers. But I think what bit Rutgers was the lack of any like really good action on the road outside of the win they had at Purdue and the number of losses that they had. And that's ultimately what also kept Oklahoma State out, I think. Or it was just that they lost too many games. Nevada didn't. Nevada won a decent number of games against some pretty good teams. Uh, but yeah, it was it was just kind of surprising because they had kind of dropped off the radar, not just due to I, the San Jose State loss, but a couple of losses they suffered going in. Yeah. But they'd done an. I mean, to be fair, going back and looking at it, they had done enough to at least be in the conversation, uh, probably more so than North Carolina had. And I think that's the one that everybody. I certainly was like, if the committee's going to put yeah. somebody in that I'm not expecting, it's going to be the Tar Heels. I certainly didn't think it'd be the Wolfpack. But I think there's some kind of like constitutional requirement that a Mountain West team be in the play-in games. So that's, that filled that <laughs> issue. You know, they took Wyoming's spot from last year. Yeah, you know, we, we took a vote today via texting from all our group, and uh, we all voted. Uh, I was going to go a different direction, but they they said Nevada. That's where having a committee kind of helps you see a, a few more eyes. But the Rutgers situation, I was championing this for two weeks, that they weren't the same team without their – uh, Mawat Mag, and he wasn't their superstar, but they they were like three and eight or three and seven down the stretch, and it was a different team than beat Purdue, and, and so I was championing that all along, and then I fell victim to that. Oh, they look good in the tournament stuff, um, and so as that committee started on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, uh, that was the same question that I had posed and didn't follow. Uh, that's one of the the decisions that I was frustrated with because uh, I was. I was out on Rutgers a long time, and then we put them back in. Those are the ones that bother you as a bracketologist where, you know, you had it right for the longest time, and then you rethink something uh, at the end. Let's talk about the Big Ten, uh, Galen and, and Coach. I'm curious how you thought the Big Ten was treated. You know, as expected, Purdue gets a one, Indiana with a four, and then a whole lot on the seven through ten line. Uh, so I'm curious how you thought the Big Ten got treated, if you thought those seeds were deserving – and just kind of by the looks of it, if there are any kind of matchups or paths of those Big Ten teams that you see uh, as, you know, being one that they might be able to, to take into the Sweet 16, because obviously the narrative now for a while in the NSA tournament is Big Ten gets all these teams and they don't get to the second weekend. Uh, Coach Tonson, we'll start with you and then go to Galen. I, I think Penn State uh, could have been a nine. Um, I understand why. We had them as a second uh, team um second to last team on Wednesday night when we had our final meeting and tried to set things up. So they did get a boost uh, of a whole seed line. 
but anytime you put together four or five quad one wins in a row, that's where the procedure sometimes gets in the way uh, with with Penn State playing Saturday afternoon and then Sunday. And I thought they really showed down the stretch that they could play good basketball. And I, I'm not a proponent of the last 10 being instituted back in, how you did in the last 10, because that's a scheduling nightmare. You know, if you get screwed on the schedule down the stretch – I don't think that's fair, but I do think there's some momentum that, that needs to be considered. Like they beat Illinois three times and Illinois seated higher than they are. And it's not a conference. Everyone's an independent contractor here and, and you compare them to other teams. So there's good reason why Illinois with its two wins in the non-conference is probably ahead. But uh, we, we decided to today to put Penn state up at the nine and have Illinois on the 10 uh, along with Auburn uh, on the 10 line, because we thought Penn State had earned that right. And if you're going to have games, they need to be part of it. And, and and I'm not being – I think they do count a little bit, but uh, that that's the one in the Penn State. We had Michigan State a seven for a long time, ended up on the eight seed line. So we understand all of that. Um, every, every Big Ten team is seeded fairly, I, I believe. Uh, I would have liked to see Penn State a little bit higher. I echo most of that. I just think Penn State left it too late to start Correct. winning those games at the end of the day. And yeah, they swept Illinois, but I mean, Indiana swept Purdue and Penn State yeah. swept Indiana. I mean, you know, they're, they're, it's it, a lot of the individual head to head matchups sometimes don't matter as much when you think about the holistic picture right. of each of these teams. And I think ultimately we just had them yeah. right next to each other. But and I, that's when it swayed us. Yeah. And I agree. I, this is exactly how I had it going seeding wise. Purdue as a one, Indiana as a four, and then a bunch of teams in that kind of seven, eight, nine, ten range, because that's really how they looked compared to the rest of the country. Uh, as far as pathways and, and opportunities, I mean, I think both Indiana and Purdue have golden opportunities sitting in front of them. Purdue somehow, as the fourth one seed, got the worst two seed according to the seed list in Marquette. Marquette was eighth on the seed list. They got the second worst three seed in Kansas state. Uh, and they got the second or the, the second best four seed in Tennessee, but that's a Tennessee team that is dealing with a significant injury. And also I think is probably the least likely to do something in the tournament. And so this is the I, theme I, of Purdue season. <laughs> it is now they did now, you know, Purdue, Purdue's got Duke, don't they? Well, they do. And, but again, I, you Dusty know, this, may before that. And they, well, but, in terms of the big teams, in terms of the protected seeds in their region, they have by far the weakest of the four regions if you add up the, the seed numbers from the one, two, three, and fours. Now, yes, Duke is looking challenging, but I would warn everybody that all the numbers, all the metrics have told us that the ACC is crap. And Duke has improved their profile significantly largely by beating ACT teams over the last month and a half. So I don't really know how good they are. They've, they looked good against Virginia, but I think there were about 90 teams in the country that would have looked good against that Virginia team last night. So I think Purdue has a pretty sorry, Jared. good – Yeah, sorry. Uh, I do, so I think Purdue's overall got a really good path if they can take advantage of it. And as far as Indiana's concerned, we've talked about them a lot. But, I mean, again, Houston, as good as they looked metrics-wise, just hasn't played that many top-level teams. And, and we've already talked about Indiana versus Miami or Kent State or Drake, for that matter. I think that – they have the ability to win any of those matchups. And so those would be the ones I'd looked at and say, you know, at least for the top two teams in the Big Ten, they got treated pretty well. 
I guess I'm going to disagree a little bit. I'm not the bracketologist, but I wouldn't want to play Marquette right now. I wouldn't want to play Memphis right now, and I wouldn't want to play Duke. Winning matters to a certain degree. I guess that's the coach of me. When you're hot and you're on a streak, confidence builds and success breeds success. So I, I'm not sure I – I'm not – if I was a Purdue fan, I'm not sure I like that draw very well. I mean, that's just me. That's fair, but, I mean, would you rather play Arizona or Texas at this point? I yeah. mean, that's, that's, that's the other options at the two line. Yeah. Two ways well, to look at that, Marquette. Two ways to look at that Marquette thing is Marquette doesn't have a ton of usable size, but they do press and pressure the ball. And that's and something Purdue that struggled. Purdue is terrible with. So, I mean, that for that reason, on a pure matchup basis, I can see the pitfall there. But again, I, I do agree that that, you know, Marquette of those two seeds, if you're just looking at it, playing what they can do on the court probably not my not the one that scares me the most and but, I'm, not, but, I'm, I'm not making a qualitative judgment i'm just gonna let the sure. seed list which is I'm like sure, yeah. where they rank everybody one through 68 marquette was the worst of the two seeds that's that's all and that's normally not what happens as the four as the fourth one seed like normally you're drawing the best of the two seeds or the second best of the two seeds they really kind of lucked out because of the region that they got put in right so exactly. why did that happen on was a true that, was that because of bracketing yeah, rules and yeah basically yes you know, geography. So they decided Alabama was the number one overall. And I know Jeff's got a question on that, which we'll let him get to in a second. So that put them in the South. Houston going to the Midwest was a real head scratcher on a number of levels. And I didn't think that Chris's uh, explanation was particularly good uh, on the post game or the, uh, the post draw show. But What'd Houston, he well, he basically, if I parsed it down right, and Ryan can correct me if I'm wrong, it was basically that they had. Uh, they hadn't had as many chances to play against quad one teams, and so they hadn't lost as many games against quad one, even though Kansas had won like significantly more. I think this is where the committee doesn't want to say, well, Houston was our number one team in the net, and and they were, you know, they were clearly top in terms of metrics and uh, you know uh, predictive statistics. So therefore, we would have felt weird not putting them at least as the number two and giving them some geographical protection. Uh, I, so I think they were trying to cover for that, but it, it it still doesn't make a lot of sense, even when you think about it that way. Yeah. It By just the way, seems... Galen, for for future reference, you don't have to give Ryan permission to correct no, you if you're wrong. Not at he all. He will just not do it. All. No, you're exactly right, though. That's what it sounded like. It sounded like the excuse was, well, yeah, they don't have as many big wins because they don't play as many good teams. And it's like, well, yeah, you can't hold that against the other teams, though. I mean, I get, I get you can't really blame. It's like when Gonzaga went undefeated in the regular season, it was like, we can't blame them because their conference isn't great. I mean, it's it's kind of you know, but, but yeah, but you but, don't have to reward. But you don't have to reward them. Yes, That's he, I, I agree completely. Yeah, but he did make the point that Houston was competitive in all their losses. Kansas got blown out four or five times. Well, but Kansas played so many more good teams. Is the point? I mean, yeah, but you can't get blown out. Sure, you can. I mean, Houston played a grand total of nine games against Quad One, and um, I mean, I just. To me, that's 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 great. That's all well and good, but uh, you know, of those teams that they played in Quad One, you're talking about uh, Oregon, Cincinnati, Central Florida, teams that didn't make the field. And you look at what Kansas played; they they had they won 19 games against teams in the field. And you go down the list of their Quad One wins. It, there's the only teams on there that didn't make the field were Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, and that only accounted for two of the games. And a lot of people think Oklahoma State should have gotten in. So, Well, that brings me to my Can question. Kansas should, have been, Kansas should have been the number one overall, that and then Alabama, question. and then Houston. Um, if Winning should matter, but winning 
in numbers matters. Um, I, I'm a guy who doesn't mind losses. Like if you play 31 games, you're going to lose a game or you're going to have a bad game. Can, show me who you can beat and how consistently you can beat people. Uh, and, and I think the metrics are, are nice. I think they're a nice piece. I think it's better than the RPI, to be honest with you. But sometimes those metrics do get in, in the way of true evaluation of how good a basketball team is. Well, let me just see this. I'm confused. One thing, real quick, Ryan. The you, to say, well, hey, Kansas got blown out a few times. I mean, Alabama, who was your number one overall, lost by what twenty seven to Oklahoma. Oklahoma on the road. They lost by fifteen on a neutral court to UConn. I mean, so some blowouts apparently matter more than others. Yeah, one thing I'm going to say about this is. As a non-bracket guy, a non-bracketologist who doesn't do this, who follows you guys for my information, I believe. Are you Jay Horry? <laughs> no, I'm not. Is your, is your name I Jay? Never, is he I would never question? tell you your business, <laughs> unlike a certain mediocre listener. Um, <laughs> no, it, what I'll say is the the thing that's confusing to me is somebody who's on the outside follows what you guys do, and then just when the bracket comes out, I'm like, okay, tell me what it means is that there's no set criteria and it seems every year it changes and they don't tell people what matters. And I think that bothers me because it's, if you know, going in, Hey, you win big games on the road. We are going to reward you. You schedule tough. We are going to reward you. This is what matters more than this. This is, and they rank the criteria before the season starts. I think it's easier for everybody to understand what happens. It seems like every year, at the end, they're like, well, we're shocked. They valued conference wins, but they didn't value non-conference. This year, they valued non-conference road games. As, you know, And I'm not saying it has to be the same every year, but there needs to be some hierarchy of criteria so that teams know what to go for and, and, and know I, how to You schedule. are right, as usual, Ryan. I mean, I get tired of don't, saying that over and over again. You are, you are, you are right, year. but, but... We're out of a job if it's set. Well, if it becomes well, a standings board, I don't, then then this isn't there. And this there's an interest in college basketball. We're talking about it, debating it right now. But if we sure, knew exactly, true. then we're just talking about Kent State moving on and going eating some donuts. Well, one, last, you know? one last point. Um, I'm not saying it has to be solidly ranked the same every single year. But give us a group of things that matter the most. You know, and well, and and that's I agree. What I, I agree. Here's the thing. I and I think you're right, Ryan. But I also think that what happens in these situations is these resumes of these teams are often so fundamentally different. It's not comparing apples to oranges. It's comparing it's apples to dolphins. You know, it's like two things that don't even belong in the same room (laughs) together. And what you end up with is a situation where you have a committee. There's 12 people on the committee, two or three people rotate off every year and two new people go on. And that, means that even if you said at the beginning of the year, here's the criteria that we really want you to focus on, ultimately, the, you know, there's going to be different perspectives because of the way the procedure goes. And and I think the of thing course, I get it. The th- and I, I know. I mean it, it's one of the, the the thing that most lay people don't grasp about this is it's not a person picking it. It's a committee voting on lists of teams. And so you end up with all these weird compromises and it's like, why is Iowa State a six? And Tennessee's a four because like there's a lot of between those two those two teams that should be about the same, but you end up with this reordering that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think that frustrates a lot of people. I agree with coach though. Ultimately a, a cottage industry has sprung up around trying to guess an imperfect science and it's terrible math, 
but it's great drama, and that's I ultimately agree. I think what everybody wants. No, I, it's just I, it's just in the in the wake of all the frustration. That's what I say is okay. Give us four things that every that we should all be looking for. You don't have to tell us like it perfectly line it up. Like it's going to be the RPI or it's going to be the net. Like you don't have to do that. But like tell us what's going to be most important this year so that we can kind of game out who's who. But in who, some ways, Ryan, they do. I mean, that. you got you got to win no. games. Win your quad one, win your quad two, win some on the road, and have good metrics. Um, play good basketball. I, I mean, it, it is, and yet there there isn't. Uh, it, what gets frustrating is when you compare one team and it seemed like road wins mattered, and then all of a sudden the next decision, uh, it was, you know, they had too many losses, uh, and it doesn't seem in consistent but it it really can't when as galen said the resumes are so unique that when you get two different resumes together and you're talking about 36 overall or 37 the difference between a nine and a ten now you got to take a vote and a discussion between 12 and and i've been privy to it when we have a group of eight down here today uh or text messaging and five people want nevada and two people want north carolina state and three want this and then all of a sudden the stuff gets thrown out um, and then ultimately it comes down to a vote and, and that team gets the, the spot that was being debated. And then you got, then Chris Reynolds got to go on TV and explain that. Uh, and, and how's that different? So well, there's reason stopped. behind it. And I also get that some of it's not logical. Some of it, these guys are going to pick teams based on what they think they look like too. You know, if it's, if it's, if yeah. it's even between two teams, pretty much they're going to say which team's better and take the better who they think is the better team. And that may come down to a split vote. You never know. And so it does hinge on this wire that's so close. And so I think when teams are upset, they don't get in. I completely understand because again, there's no set metric and a lot of it is it's incredibly subjective. Indiana has been on the wrong end of that sometimes a few times. Um, but at the same time, you're right. I mean, there is sort of uh, you're at the mercy of these teams. And if you leave it to or these guys and if you leave it to the mercy of the committee, whether or not you get in, you probably don't deserve to be in necessarily. So, uh, you know, that's that's sort of the end result of this. Hey, I'll, I'll ask. I'll modify my question a little bit that I had um, for Brian and Galen. Then I'll listen to your answer and then I'm going to hop out of here and get ready for the women's show that we have with the community coming up at the top of the hour. But a lot of speculation this morning by media, not necessarily guys like you, but a lot of media people that were dropping IU to a five. And yet we were really, we were the number 15 overall seed. So solidly a four seed. Were you surprised that they were the number 15 overall seed? And thanks. I, I was thanks, ha- thanks for having me. I'm yeah. going to listen to the answer and then I'm going to hop out. I, I, I wasn't surprised um, because since the re- they were 13 at the reveal and they went 500 or a little one over 500 since the reveal, had some nice, win- great wins, uh, had a really bad loss to Iowa in there. So I, I wasn't surprised at all. We all fight recency bias. Uh, we were talking here before I dismissed the, the students. We made some changes today, and we tell ourselves we weren't going to do that, and then we do it, and we've done that for every year. And then we focus on those mistakes that we, we missed. But we moved Baylor to a three today. So I told the told the um, the guys, don't get disappointed and just look at the ones we missed. We also made – some choices that were correct late because um, we're different than the committee. So um, I wasn't surprised at all. There's, but there's a lot of recency bias that media and everyone fall into that when you lose a game, you got to drop. And when you, you win, you got to go up and, and it really gets a little more tight as the conference tournaments end on Saturday and Sunday. So I, I, I was pretty comfortable. I thought there was a slight chance if people thought Iowa State beating Baylor twice or Duke with their momentum and they were looking for a team. Um, 
I thought it was going to be Xavier, to be honest with you, and they ended up being the three seed. So it was a little closer than what uh, getting to a five than than what I thought, but I, I wasn't surprised we were a four. I'll echo that. I actually had Indiana as 15th on my seed list, so I congratulate the committee on getting that right. Um, but <laughs> no, overall, look, I think the, the biggest challenge that Indiana was facing and where I think a lot of people were dropping them was, A, recency bias, and B, Indiana was 30th in the net coming into today. And that's supposed to be the NCAA sorting mechanism, and 30th is like an eight seed. Uh, so, you know, this is where, again, going back to what Ryan mentioned, uh, you know, where these criteria come together – uh, Indiana had just the right combo. I, I think I mentioned this on our podcast this morning. Indiana was like a little bit of something off of each of the the buffet areas that you would want. They had road wins. They had quad one wins. They had no bad losses. They had uh, 22 wins overall. They had a bunch of things that you would have liked. They didn't have all in one area or another. They ended up being a good bellwether for what the committee was looking for, and I think they were solidly on the four seat as a result. Let me ask you guys this question. You know, because the the selection committee did their reveal, and Indiana was a four seed. If I remember correctly, they were the top four seed. And so that was kind of, you know, I remember when that happened, it's like, okay, you know, we're in pretty good shape, even though people weren't quite sure. Do you think without that, you would have felt as comfortable keeping Indiana up as a four? Like, do you think that that helped you say, okay, the committee is, is valuing some things that Indiana has, or like you said, with a net of 30, would you have been a little bit more worried if you hadn't seen that come out at the reveal? You know, they've been doing the re- reveals for, what, a decade now, Coach? And it's it does help because it at least gives you a, an opening sense of what the committee is thinking. Now, without that, it's hard to say. I mean, look, ultimately, Indiana had some really good wins and they had good wins away from home and those things have always traveled well. And, you know, I think where I would have been in a normal year, I wouldn't have said an 11 loss team was going to be a four seed, but this was not a normal year. A lot of teams had a lot of losses. And so I think within the confines of this particular season, yeah, I would have absolutely had them right around that borderline of the four or five, which again is just the difference between being the 16th and the 17th best teams on the seed list. Coach, what about you? If you just pop in and look at the net for the first time this week and see them as a 30, you're probably going to have them lower. But where you watched them all year, and then you also realize that the Iowa loss dropped them from, I think, low 20s at yeah. uh, the 27s, maybe even got into the teens uh, at, at, yeah. at one point. They were like and then you get beat. 15 at one point. And, and that's where I like the net, but – you can game it. Uh, you can game it uh, by you know staying, keeping your starters on late, and winning by twenty instead of winning by twelve. And your offensive efficiency, you know, by some of your scheduling. If you schedule people and you pound them, then that embeds a, a nice spread of your offense and defensive efficiency. So I'd like to see it capped a little bit more or tweaked a little bit more. But I like it overall. But you can't just look at thirtieth and say, okay, that's a six or seven seed. We use it as a placement. And then we look at the whole resume and say, is this team higher or better than its net or worse than its net compared to everything? And then we kind of go from there when we start placing teams. But we don't use it absolute. Now, we do look at trends, and I do think there are some trends from committee to committee, uh, but you got to make sure your trend is not the outlier. Like Utah State was an outlier this year. Usually teams with that kind of net get up in the, in the top seven or eight, but you got to be careful that not just – use the net as a placement tool. We, we kind of, our FAU was that way 
the trend of putting Murray State and Wofford and Buffalo uh, up in the six and seven seed line cost us some, uh, you know, a couple points maybe because we had FAU as a seven and they ended up as a nine. This committee felt differently than previous committees, so our trend analysis didn't didn't pan out in in that situation, and so we maybe misused the net a little bit in, in that situation. Um, but yeah, I. If you look at it right away, yeah, you're going to see uh, 30. You're going to think 7-8 seed. Here is, you know, the other thing on Indiana's resume that helped, obviously, is no bad losses. They didn't take any in the non-conference schedule, and they didn't take any in Big Ten conference play. And so if you're looking for a reason to be confident going into this Kent State game, because trust me, over the next few days, you're going to hear a lot of reasons why Kent State is a good upset pick over Indiana. But one thing this Indiana team can really hang its hat on this year is they did not lose to bad teams. The lowest rated Ken Palm team that Indiana lost to was Northwestern at number 42. Um, you know, and so they lost to 42. You know, I was 37. Rutgers is 35. Uh, but, you know, they didn't lose to any teams ranked lower than that. Ken State currently 71st in Ken Palm. The closest proxy there on Indiana's schedule is Wisconsin, uh, which was 76th. And if you project forward to Miami, they were just 40th in Ken Palm. And that is with their center, who they're not going to have. And Do so, we know that you know, for sure? Uh, that's Rick said, I think, uh, was it Rick Bozich that was just here that said he was out for the season, I think. Oh, so, I didn't know that. I, yeah, I haven't confirmed that. Um, I don't know, uh, but obviously, you know, that would be big. And that's, you know, to me, this Indiana team, Galen, has really struggled putting back-to-back efforts against good teams. And even when you look at that five-game win streak, you know, the first win in that streak was against Wisconsin at home. They're not a good team this year. Uh, winning at Illinois, that's a huge win. But then you come home and you play Michigan State without Malik Hall. Uh, and then you go at Minnesota and you play Ohio State at home when they were just, I mean, playing terrible. And so that win streak, while impressive... I mean, you really beat like one and a half good teams, depending on how you think about Michigan State at the time Indiana played them. And then after that five-game stretch is when Indiana started playing no one lower than Michigan at 46th. And, you know, they lost at Maryland. They won three in a row against Purdue, Rutgers, and Michigan. And then it's lose one, win one, lose one, win one. And so that's where, to me, I've kind of looked at this and said, this really feels like a team where the ceiling is the Sweet 16. Because you know, you're going to play a team at first that's probably ranked somewhere 70th, 80th. That seems like a team Indiana should beat, even if it's a little closer than you would want. And then after that, unless the bracket just goes crazy, you're probably going to be playing two, you know, two straight at least top 40 teams. And this team just hasn't really shown us that they can put together back-to-back efforts. Yeah. And so you know, the way I've looked at it for several weeks now is the Sweet 16 is you know, it's the demonstrated ceiling of this team. Doesn't mean that they can't outdo that by, you know, finally stringing together some efforts. Um, but I'm just, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that and how that kind of lays out now with the teams that Indiana, you know, pro- projects to play um, with, you know, w- w- with this bracket set up. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, there, here's the thing. There's, I think I use, we talked about this on the podcast today, the inconsistency that Indiana's had. It's like, is this something that they will shake? And if it's something that they can shake and they can get consecutive good games, they really only need two good games in a row because then they can break and come back and they've got a whole new set of teams that they play. Um, I do worry about, you know, I worry about the first game, I think more than anything else with this IU team in that they're, they, they have trouble rising to the occasion against teams that don't get them really juiced up. Uh, you know, and that that is a concern. I don't know how excited they're going to be to play Kent State. Uh, I think they'd get a lot more excited to play Miami, obviously. But I think there's nothing about Kent State 
in terms of personnel matchup that would concern me too much from an Indiana perspective. You know, yes, they present some problems, but anybody that you're playing at this level would yeah. present some problems. I think Indiana presents a lot of problems for Kent State that they're going to have trouble solving. And I think Indiana has been battle tested enough now that they're not going to be freaked out by it. Uh, they're going to play at 9:55 p.m. We just yeah Friday. breaking news just discovered that. So um, they always the, put Indiana in the late slot for TV. Man, where's Purdue at like 11:15 on Thursday? Uh, probably. I mean, <laughs> you know, whenever they Purdue get plays uh, 6:50 p.m. Oh, there you go. Okay, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, but it's because they have a they have a plan. Okay, that's I mean, a little better for well, Purdue then. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of prime time. But look, ultimately, I'll say this: it's great for Indiana to get that extra day off. By yeah. The, way. the the one thing I like though about this is that if they end up, if they can get past these two teams and get to the Sweets to see what you know, Kent, Kent State and either Drake or Miami, I think there's an equal chance they could play either one. Without um, the center, Drake has a good chance to win that game. They do. Although, I, again, I I do think it's important to keep in mind that. It feels like every year we pick two or three 12 seeds or 13 seeds who are locks to beat whoever they're going to play, and then they lose. And yeah, um, one usually wins. Yeah. It's not and, you're thinking. you know, and, and I honestly, I think Miami without a center, Drake might be the perfect team for them to play because they don't have to worry about an interior presence. They can just focus on defending the perimeter, and I think for they sure. can do that. But anyway, if I, you can get past the first two games, the fact that they would get to reset and almost certainly either play Houston, a one seed who everybody knows – um, or Iowa, <laughs> or I'd Auburn. rather play Houston. <laughs> well, you know, but there'd be there'd be plenty for them to get up for in that game, and I think that ultimately they would be in a much better spot than, um, uh, you know, if they were, if, if it's a situation with this IU team where they're having to play like somebody that they haven't heard of or they can't get up for, that's one thing. But but I think for IU right now, if they are as motivated as they say they are to try to do something in the postseason for the first time, this is the draw you would want for them because there's enough along the way that is challenging but not like like overly problematic. Yes, I know they've lost to Iowa twice already, but you know I, I don't think Iowa's actually making it through. I do like the chances of IU being able to turn themselves up. I just wonder with them, it's like the stumbling block's probably the first game. And that's that's where Mike Woodson's got to earn his money here over the next five days, getting his team up and up and ready for that and having them take it seriously for a full 40 minutes. Guys, we need to stop the show for a moment and express a little bit of sadness for the end of North Carolina's season as the preseason number one team in the country did not make the NCAA tournament and has declined an NIT invitation. Uh, it seems like the problem for North Carolina all year long was they didn't enjoy playing with each other, and it seems like the thought of playing even one more game was too much for the Tar Heels. So they are uh, going to start preparing out, for next shout season. Out from, shout out to friend of the program, Tate Frazier. It's a sad day. Yes. Uh, I actually have an interview with Tate that will be published tomorrow, and we did the interview <laughs> before North Carolina got eliminated, so he was much more cheerful. Uh, so if you want a positive interview... <laughs> If you want a negative one, turn into one shining podcast. But it's if you you're, uh, that will be released tomorrow on the big lead. So go read it. What quick quick thoughts on that? That's that's pretty sad, right? Yeah. I mean, like, is there is there any defense for that? Like, hey, we didn't make the NCAA tournament. We're just taking our ball and going home. They're not the first team to do it. Cincinnati announced a similar thing, and I don't know if they're actually going to go through with it. We're like, we're not going to play in the NIT either, which. I don't. I didn't think the NCAA was letting teams do, but no. I th- look. 
IU's played in the NIT. Uh, Kansas, uh, not Kansas, it's, but you know, gave other, up a home game. <laughs> yeah, other teams. Well, God, yeah. Uh, other, you know, <laughs> at least we NIT, played though. The NIT is not beneath you, and you know, for North Carolina of all teams, who you know, who you know, quite frankly, you know, flaunted academic rules in the NCAA for years, won a national championship, and then acted like they'd done nothing wrong to suddenly be like, oh, we're too good to play in the NIT. I mean, give me a break. I'll say this uh, about that, though, and, and opting out. It, it, like, I think it might be a case where players didn't want to play and would have just opted out. There's a chance they may not have had a team to go. You know, let the young guys, guys play. Then I'm sure well, Baycott I mean, doesn't want to play. But but how many? But how many would you have? If you're going to run with seven guys to the NIT. You know, I mean that get them experience. It, it's, just, it's a different world now than it was a few years ago, where guys would play the end of the season out, and now they don't. So I I, I think there might be a case to be made for that. I, I agree with you though, Galen, I would have gone anyway, let the walk-ons play. I don't care. I but think that mentality is exactly why their season was torpedoed in the first place. I would place. agree with you. I would agree with you. Well, they they're jumping the ship and getting to work on their roster construction for next year. Right. They, they have decisions whether to let people back or not. And this, you, you wonder if the program's like, we don't want you back. We're not going to go play with you. We don't want you back because it's been a hell of a two years of selfish basketball worth one good, tournament run and that's some tough conversations you're going to have but i think everyone except one can come back um if they wanted to because of the covid year and i've heard a few podcasts where they've discussed like do you want them back does does davis want them back and then you got to go to the transfer portal and, and get some recruits in and go young next year and so I agree. If you got a chance to play, you should play. You are kind of crapping on the season, ending the season. If you get invited, you should go. But this has been torturous for them. Um, I'm not feeling sorry for them, but um, boo. They're getting they're going to jump start on on who wants to be here and who wants doesn't and who we want here and not and let's get into some individual work and get this straightened out. They also um, get to jump on contacting transfers and all that stuff. Too, yep, focusing on recruiting. Well, yeah, I mean, I would hope that teams have support staff guys who can do that. I mean, that is that is a difference, Galen, you know, uh, that I think is important context for people to understand. Is the tra- I don't, When does the transfer portal open? I know some guys have already announced that they're in there. Um, I didn't know if that was just grad transfer guys or if it's, you know, fully open and guys can tar- start taking visits. But that happens concurrently with the NCAA tournament. And so if you're a team like Indiana that clearly is going to be active in the transfer portal, probably looking to fill two, three, four spots, you know, your coaching staff needs to be focused on oh. the game. And this is where a guy like Jordan Holes, who's your recruiting coordinator, you know, I would imagine the support staff guys are really going to have a lot of work cut out for them to be watching film, making contacts. And, you know, at some point, the coaches probably are going to have to hop on a call or maybe take a visit with a priority transfer portal guy. So that does make it a little bit different now than it was in the past. So it's a 60-day window now, and it opens tomorrow. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and actually, there's an interesting piece. Why do they do it that, that way? Well, I well, guess they kind of have to to let guys, you know. Yeah, they, I mean, because you, yeah. you figure only about the season's 20, over. That's why. Only, yeah, only, yeah. And, and only about twenty percent of the membership is playing in the NCAA tournament. You know, they add another ten percent for the NIT. But uh, you know, they 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 added the window rather than having it be an endless thing because they wanted to have some kind of uh, of structure around it more than they had last year. But it's interesting. There's a nice piece by Isaac Trotter from 24-7 about this, and there's a quote from 
Brad Underwood and and his I'll just read his quote because I think it's pertinent. I guess I wish that it would start a little later than the day right after selection Sunday. You'd hope that you don't have someone on your team as you're heading to the tournament who's looking at the portal, but I'd also be wrong to say that it won't happen. Somebody who isn't playing or getting minutes is going to be looking for a new destination. I'll be shocked if there's a tournament team not dealing with that. And look, you have to stay on top of transfers at every moment because that's essential in building a roster. So uh, this is one of those things where it's like, I don't know. I, I get why they did it this way, but it also puts teams in the tournament at a little bit of a disadvantage because now you're having to have some awkward conversations with your own players while also trying to figure out how to win tournament games while also figuring out who you might get to transfer. So you better have a really solid unofficial support structure out there to try to make sure that you're keeping tabs of all of that. All right, well, let's let's wrap things up here on this because we all want to go focus on the women's selection show where the Hoosiers are expected to be the number two overall seed opposite South Carolina. Uh, and yes, you better believe I'm wearing my Big Ten champ shirt from Home Field Apparel. Um, let's start with Coach Tonsoni. Everybody's now going to be scrambling to fill out their brackets. You know, one bonus, I think, of the bracketology work that you do when you guys go to fill out your brackets, not that it makes you any better at filling out the brackets because it's all such a crapshoot anyway, but I think you guys do have a better understanding of the strengths and weaknesses or at least the relative abilities of some of the lower seeds than, you know, those of us like me and Ryan who don't pay that close attention to it. So Coach Tonsoni, as you were going through this process, who were a couple of teams, you know, seated 10th or lower that you think kind of have the stuff to project that could be a, a sweet 16 type seed and maybe one from a big conference and one, you know, from a lower conference that people should consider as a potential Cinderella. Now we actually suck at filling out the brackets, to be honest with you. So, um, <laughs> Overload. Thanks. I feel the same way. Overload of info you get so like because it's hard to say to you. You can't get away from the information, right? It's you like, know, and, that team was good. They had all these quad one wins, and then they go and they lose in the first round. I don't know. Uh, you know the, the 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 obvious serious question answer to your question is you, you do like those twelve team the seeds that are uh, seeds twelve because they're the best teams of the smaller automatic conferences, and they're good basketball teams. So your Oral Roberts uh, is a team. they got a tough matchup with Duke. Uh, so I, I think that that you know uh, could could be problems. You look for momentum. A team like Utah State uh, has played well, and they're a ten. Do they have a chance? Uh, I don't think they can get by Arizona at, at that spot. I don't think USC, you know, Penn State and Texas A and M are going to play seven ten seed line. Uh, Texas has a chance. They're really good, but man, they they could um, be up and down uh, if you're looking at at the ten seed line. Uh, I think those are teams quickly that, uh, I, I would say, I don't think, um, I don't think Boise state has, has much in them. 11 seeds, 11 seeds weren't good this year. I mean, you know, I, I don't know anyone who's hot or, or anything, you know, Providence, I would say Providence has a chance because Ed Cooley is a really good coach and, and they've won some games at up. home. And so, you know, you're in the Big East as a big conference school at an 11, uh, I, I think, is is there. And VCU as a 12. I really, really think VCU. I, I'm not sure who they're matched up with. I have to look real quick. St. Mary's. Um, VCU and St. Mary's. And, you know, St. Mary's is good. And then don't be surprised to Drake, th those teams at the 12. But below that, um, there's a 13 – Watch Kennesaw State. I think they guard a little bit, uh, if I remember right, at the 14. 
Uh, they That's gave the Indiana, Indiana played a, a pretty good season. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was like eleven or twelve points or something, and it was a little bit of a struggle. They, they play was. Xavier, and Xavier doesn't have Fremantle, so that's the kind of thing that's a recipe for for a fourteen um, to beat a three. And uh, th- that's that's what I have for you before scouring this for about ten hours um, going forward. <laughs> All right, Furman, Galen, any, uh, does anybody jump out to you? A couple of teams that I would keep an eye on. I don't know how many this would be like Cinderella's per se. I got my eye on West Virginia. They play Maryland, who has not played well away from home. Then they probably get to play Alabama. And, uh, I mean, West Virginia is a top 20 Ken Palm team. I mean, we're talking about a team that only lost to good teams all year. Uh, you know, they struggled against Kansas a, a bunch, and I think that ended up kind of being their undoing as far as getting higher up the seed line. But I would not be pleased if I was Alabama having to play against West Virginia. I wouldn't be shocked to see them make it to the Sweet 16. Uh, in terms of double-digit seeds, uh, I, so I'll say this. I think Utah State, another one that is pretty high up in the efficiency ratings, they looked pretty good in the Mountain West tournament. They've got a Missouri team who I think is is really overrated, like overseeded. I, I, you know, they are kind of your classic do-no-wrong sort of team. Uh, but I don't know if they're actually as good as they've gotten seeded. And then they play an Arizona team that is we we've seen. We think they're very good. Uh, that that to me has always struck me as a team that could get knocked out a little bit early this year because I just don't know how well they're going to be able to handle something that they're not expecting. We saw that a couple of times with them in losses this year. So um, you know, outside of that, I honestly I think all of the 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 twelve, thirteen, fourteen seeds could do something, but to some degree, as I look in first blush here, I don't know how many of them are matched up effectively. I think actually VCU might have the best matchup of the 5-12s or 4-13s as they're an aggressive style team playing a St. Mary's team that likes to slow it down. That might be a good matchup for the Rams. Ryan, have you filled out your bracket yet? Do you have any, any hot, yet. Uh, hot bracket opinions? I, no. Um, I'll say that Indiana has a path that can work for it. And I think that if anybody in that locker room is not super friggin' excited about what they've got ahead of them, um, you know, there's, they need to check their pulse. This is a really good chance for Indiana to make a run for the first time in a long time. And I mean, to be able to get that matchup against Houston, as Galen was saying, like there are games you get up for and games you don't. Houston has arguably been the best team in college basketball all year as far as performance goes. I know Kansas is probably the best team matching up against anyone, but Houston's been at the top the entire time and hasn't really suffered any bad losses. And if you can't get up for that game, I mean, you're crazy. Now, you're right. I think Galen's 100% right. Kent State's the test. To get them up for Kent State is going to be an issue because you're just thinking smaller conference team, lower seeded, we're supposed to win, we've got the All-American you can't sleepwalk in that game. I think it helps that it's a night game for that. I think that'll really help the... the. I, I tend to think those night games help the higher seed because it's a normal... It's more a normal schedule than playing at noon. Um, so I think it's just that evens out. Um, but yeah, it's I think... prime time. I think, yeah. Yes. And you know, and it's and it's it's just more normal. It's like those Saturday afternoon games where nobody plays well and, and, and you know, teams eke it out. Um, so I think that when you, when you flatten everything and don't put them in an abnormal situation it's 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 better for the for the favorite that said india's got to get up for that game and then i think that you know the next game it's gonna be easy to get up for it's it's a chance to go to the sweet 16 it's all of that stuff 
uh, regardless of who they play. And, and, you know, if it's Miami, I think you certainly get up for it, but they've got a real good chance to make a run here. I know Houston is extremely good, extremely good defensively, but Sasser's out, uh, you know, you've got size on them. You've got, you do some things well there. It's going to be on those role players though. Everything Indiana does is going to be about the role players. The role players step up. Indiana's going to make a great run. We're all going to be very happy. If they don't, Indiana's going to struggle. That's, that's the story of the season. It's been the same, no matter who they play, no matter what the matchup is, if the role players step up, Indiana will win games in this tournament. And we've now had two straight games where Indiana's best lineup is the one with Malik Renew and Tamar Bates. So obviously those guys need to keep playing well, and then hopefully you can get Trey Galloway going again and get Race Thompson back to being consistent because he's had some great moments, and boy, he's had some real head-scratching moments over the last few games. So look, it's tournament week, as you know. You know, we'll do lots of content this week. I'll try to find someone from Kent State that we can talk to. We'll do some pop-up shows, and there's just you know this is the the, the most fun time of year. And Rob so we'll be here. Mike call in. He loves phone calls. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And maybe we can get Kelvin in on a three-way and just talk with everybody in the bracket. I got Fran on too. You know why not? When they won last night, I jumped back onto Google and found an Eamon <laughs> Brennan blog post from inside the hall from late 2007 <laughs> about Rob Senderoff. It was I was like, wow, the lots happened since then. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Um, all right. So let me get you guys out of here on this and let's go on and, and watch the women's show. Um, coach Tonsoni, I'll start with you. How much does Indiana need to do now in the NCAA tournament for this season to be a success? The Hoosiers, you know, get the three seed in the big 10 tournament, make it to a big 10 tournament semifinal. They get a four seed in the NCAA tournament. Is this season already a success for you independent of what happens moving forward or, or how much do you think needs to happen from this point on? Um, I think it's multi-tiered. Um, I said this before, given the injuries to, to get a four seed and finish third in the Big Ten, I think you have to say is some level of success. Uh, the roster hasn't been complete. You know, I do think a, a win uh, in, in the first round and getting to the, the second round is the minimal of what you want. I think if they get to the Sweet, sweet 16, that is obviously a successful season given the circumstances of where this team was at the beginning of the season and then without X and, and a variety of things that we've talked about incessantly. Uh, so yes, I think getting to this point and earning a, a, a 15th spot in the NCAA tournament on the overall seed line, that's quite an accomplishment, uh, regardless of how they did it or how we prefer they do it. I think that is a success at this point. I think you need, you, you don't just want to have a cake without icing. No, you need to have a little icing, uh, and, and the icing is a sweet 16. Take it from a fat guy, you know. I know, I know about icing. It's good. <laughs> wow, it's good. icing, icing is good. We love icing. <laughs> we need, we need the icing. We need. Wow. We're gonna need a new Bob Thompson song called "Icing Is Good." It just needs to remix. You that ice quote. the ball screen. <laughs> you ice the cake. Yeah, it goes together. We got the lyrics already. Here we go. All right, Bob, you're, you're on, man. <laughs> Galen, over to you. <laughs> uh, look. It, I talked about this on Crimson Cast earlier. I think this season is a, is a success from the standpoint that you break a multi-year streak and not winning double-digit games in the conference. You, you're a four-seed in the NCAA tournament. It's your highest seed since 2013. You beat Purdue twice for the first time since 2013. A lot of real positives. Your schedule strength gets better overall. I, I think long-term, we will – Certainly what happens in the tournament is going to be inextricably linked to what the season's success or failure was in the eyes of most fans. 
to me, you know, I think getting to the second weekend would make the season an unqualified success. I think if they lose, you know, in, the, in on Sunday, well, you know, that's not ideal, but it's further than they went the year before. If they lose the first game, it kind of makes you question what you saw for most of the season. And that's where I don't know that we will say for sure whether this was a successful season until down the line. Uh, because I think ultimately where this season will be judged as a success or failure is, did it help to change the culture of Indiana basketball closer to what people expect it to be and want it to be? And I think it did. It looks like it did, but that's not a question that we can adequately answer for a few years. All right. Well, Coach Galen, thank you guys so much for being here. I know it was a busy week for you with all the bracketology stuff, and you're probably ready to go kick back with a beer or a, an iced donut. I got uh, to do some Crimson Cast next. So, yeah. Oh, gonna- that's right. Crimson yeah. Cast. <laughs> Very nice. Well, thanks to Rick Bozich for joining us, Coach Marlowe, Ryan, everybody uh, who was here. Thank you to everybody who was here live. But it is time now to go watch the women's selection show. Watch the women, uh, you know, be have their number one seed announced. If you're in the private community, Jeff and Kathy have a, a, a Zoom happy hour going over there. So go check that out. Uh, and, you know, check Crimson Cast, check the Assembly Call feed. We will probably have tons of content uh, coming for you this week uh, as we have a nice long wait until Friday night for Indiana's NCAA tournament game. But it, uh, it should be worth the wait. It should be a heck of a game. And hopefully our guys are ready to, to keep marching on. And let's go have a fun few weeks here in the tournament. All right, everybody. We will talk to you soon. As always, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.